1: It's going to be a, a good time here in the service we've already had a great time of worship and after we get through the message today we're going to have a time of baptisms and that's exciting in the life of the church if you are one of those that is getting baptized you could get ready any anytime during the message now if you'd like to and then sit and be a part of the message I'm going to try to keep it a little bit shorter so that we can have the emphasis and the focus on the baptisms though I'm not always great at keeping things uh, nice and short when it comes to the message i'm going to try my best here today. If you are, have been with us for a long time, you know that we have been in a series of messages covering the book of Ephesians called Sit, Walk, and Stand. And we've been almost, uh, well, I don't know how many months now, eight or nine months, that we have been covering the book of Ephesians. We have now found our way to the final section on the section of standing. If you're with us for the first time, if you want to check out that series, they're available on our website. But essentially, we have been covering and looking at what God says in his word, about what these things are. Sitting, what is sitting? It's understanding that our identity comes from the Lord. It's learning how to rest, learning how to receive. Not doing, not working, not being, not moving, but just sitting, resting, and receiving. The fact that he has forgiven us, that he has given us a brand new identity, that we are redeemed, that we are his chosen, that we are adopted into his family. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We were once dead In our trespasses and sins, but now we have been brought to life. And that's what it means to sit and just rest and receive and hear from him about what our new identity is. And then we moved into the section in Ephesians 4 on learning to walk. Walking is about how do I live out my life? How do I live this faith out in the way that I go about just being a part of the world. How can I walk worthy of God when it comes to every aspect of my life? And then Paul finishes it all off with learning to stand, stand. Why do we stand? Well, we stand firmly because of a warfare that is coming our way. Let's look together at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read through verses 10 through 20, but we're only going to cover the first couple of verses here in our time together this morning. It's really an introduction to the spiritual warfare aspect. In fact, we're going to spend five weeks where we are looking at what the Bible says about spiritual warfare. There's a lot of mis out there today when it comes to spiritual warfare. I'm not concerned about what other people say it is. I just want to know what does the Bible say and How can we best get ourselves in alignment with what the Bible says about spiritual warfare? Let's look together. If you have a Bible, you can follow along or the words will be on the screen. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Here's what it says. Paul writes this. Finally, again, this is the last thought that he is going to leave us with. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. "...put on the full armor of God, so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist when the times are evil." And after you have done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm then. Buckle the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Strap up your feet in readiness with the good news of peace, of shalom. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit, in the ruach, on every occasion. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep alert with perseverance and supplication. For all of your brothers and sisters. All of the saints. All of the holy ones. All of the Ketoshim. And pray, Paul says, for me. When I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the good news for which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may speak boldly the way I should. Today, the title is Learning to Stand, Spiritual Warfare, Part 1. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we are living in days that are evil. We are living in a world that is moving quickly away from any knowledge of you. We are living in times, Lord, that are perilous. Times that are discouraging. Times that are dangerous in many ways. Lord, we are facing a battle for our community, our culture, our nation, and this world. There are two kingdoms at play, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, And Lord, we want to be in the kingdom of light. We want to be following you every step of the way. Lord, help us to not be surprised when problems occur and trials come our way and hardships happen. Help us to be firmly committed to you in the midst of all of it. Help us, Lord, to lean into you and to trust you and to walk with you And never lose hold of you, no matter what comes our way. Father, as we talk about spiritual warfare over these next several weeks, bless this time. Help us to understand what your word says, not what other people have said, but what does your word say when it comes to this truth of spiritual warfare? Father, we thank you for the time that we could share together now. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are talking, again, about this idea of spiritual warfare, and I'm going to cover three little points today. We're going to put the most emphasis on the first point. We're going to cover the first two verses that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, about the idea of spiritual warfare. This is kind of a contextual uh, message where we're going to cover the context. We're going to look at what the basis is, kind of an introduction to more that we're going to get in in the future. Let's look at this idea. We're going to look at point number one, and that is this. Strength for life comes from being in the Lord. That's where strength comes from, being in the Lord. Here's what Paul says, and I want you to note, if you're a a circler in your Bible, circle these words and this idea here today. Paul says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What does this mean? How does this concept work? God wants us to be strong in him, in his power. Many people feel like Christianity and Jesus in particular is simply an add-on. I'll live my life, and I'll add Jesus into the mix. I can go and do my life and live however I want to and be whatever I want to be. And Jesus is the add-on. He's the tag-along. If you've ever seen the the little bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot, that's really a misnomer. Because that's not how life works. Jesus is not the passenger to my vehicle. He is not the co-pilot when I'm piloting the plane. In fact, in reality, Jesus is... Is the plane, and I am sitting in it. I'm in the plane, and the plane is doing the work, and I am just navigating. Many of you know that I, I, uh, I have a fascination of flying. I got my pilot's license a while back and love to go out and fly. Um, it's a hobby that I have. It's just, it's something that I really, really enjoy. Every time I get into the plane and every time I'm going to go for a flight, I have a checklist that I have to follow. Number one on my checklist, that's not on every pilot's checklist, but it is on mine, is pray. That's number one. It's also number one on my wife's checklist when it comes to me going out and flying. She is praying fervently, so much so that there are a lot of times that I will go fly and not tell her that I'm going out to go fly, so as not to worry her. I come to the realization, though, that the plane I have no control over the fact if the engine is going to run, if there's going to be a problem. I have no control over that. It is completely God who is in control. He is not sitting there as my co pilot as if I'm flying the plane and a problem occurs and I say, okay, Jesus, you take it. Jesus, take the wheel. No. Jesus, you're the plane. Please keep it in the air. That's the way it works. Jesus is not an add on, He is the thing. Strength is not an add-on. It doesn't come from me just living my life saying, Jesus, just tag along. I have strength because I find myself in the Lord. My life is hidden in him. He is the controller, the director. He is the seer of life, and I am just hiding my life in his. My life is Completely gone, and it is Christ alone. That's what Paul is saying. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, the word um, mighty power, the word for might, is the word in Greek, iskos, and it means simply ability, force, strength, might. The word power is the word kratos, and it means the same thing power, strength, force, might. In biblical times, in that language, they did not have a lot of adjectives. There were not a lot of descriptive words. So they would use words twice in order to really emphasize the word. That's why we have the song that we sang last, Holy, Holy, Holy. Now that comes right out of a biblical phrase. And it's because they did not have adjectives to describe. They would use it three times to say this is how holy God is. He is three times holy. Same thing with the mighty power. His mighty power is everything we need. There's been a fascination in our culture... For probably the past 20 years or so, with superheroes. And there's always a secret behind a superhero's strength. For example, Spider Man. The reason Spider Man could shoot webs, the reason he could climb walls, the reason he was super strong is because he was bit by a radioactive spider. How awesome would that be if that were a real possibility that that could happen? But that's the secret behind. Spider-Man's strength, Captain America, another famous superhero. He was injected with a serum, and that serum, that Super Soldier Serum, was the reason behind his super strength. You had somebody like the Hulk. The Hulk's power was because he was um, he was radiated by gamma rays, and that created the strength that the Hulk had. For the Christian, you have a secret strength, and that is Jesus in you, you in Jesus. He is the strength to your life. Now, the way that I would describe it would be this, and I've used this analogy before, but it's an awesome one, I think, and so I'll use it again. I have a drill, and I have a battery. The drill is completely useless without the battery. You could put a drill bit in, you could put a screwdriver bit in the drill, but if you don't have a battery, you're going to find yourself with a useless tool. Guys, you ever had a dead battery and you've got a little screwdriver bit, you're trying to put a screw into the wall and your battery dies, and so you start doing this number with the drill? (laughs) We've all done that. The drill is useless unless you connect it to a battery source. And once you connect this to a battery source, now it can function the way it's intended to function. Without the battery, I could pull the trigger as much as I want and absolutely nothing is going to happen. But as soon as I put a battery source in it, now it has the power to be able to do what it needs to do, to be the tool that it needs to be in life. In the same way, God becomes the battery. He becomes the source. And without him, apart from him, the word tells us you can do nothing. Nothing can be accomplished without him. So the Bible talks a lot about this concept of being in the Lord look at some of these verses. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, that's Christ. Christ and Messiah, the same words. Christ, Christos, Messiah. If you are in Messiah, you are a new creation. If you're not in Messiah, you're not a new creation. The old things have passed away if you're in Messiah, but if you're not in Messiah, the old things have not passed away. All things have become new if you're in Messiah. But if you're not in Messiah, nothing has become new. You may think, well, why do I keep struggling with the same thing over and over again? How come I can't get rid of all the old stuff? Well, are you really in Messiah? Because if you're in him, the old has passed. You have become new. All things have become new. In Romans, Paul says it this way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's for those who are in Christ. When you're in Christ, you have power. When you're in Christ, you have strength. When you're in Christ, you've been set free. When you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. In Colossians, Paul says, God chose to make known to them this glorious mystery regarding the Gentiles, which is Messiah in you, the hope of glory. In 1 Corinthians, he says, For as in Adam all die, so in Messiah will all be made alive. In Philippians 4.13, then, he says, if you are in Christ, well, I can then do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. So here's the question. How can I become in Jesus, in Christ? Well, number one, I have a relationship with him. I've said, Jesus, come into my life. I need a relationship with you. I need to be forgiven. I need you in my life. I need you to be the battery. When that happens, then I say, Jesus, I want you to have all of me. I don't want to just be mine and you just being a tag along. I want you to have everything of my life. When that happens now, I want to be in his word every day, prayer every day, small groups, Bible studies, listening to messages, because all of that is going to help me to continue to be in Christ. When I have Christ in me, then I can fight the battle. And I can do the spiritual warfare and stand firm as God has called me to do. When I'm in Jesus, I can then say to the devil, you are not strong enough. You can't get to me because to get to me, you have to go through Christ. And you can't do that. I remember being a kid. I was in the fifth grade. My parents had just moved here to Gillette. I moved here with them, obviously, and went through elementary school, went through junior high, went through high school, moved away, came back in 2005 to this area. When I was in the fifth grade and we had just moved here, there was a kid in my class who just did not like me. And I don't know why, because I am about the most likable person you could ever meet. So I don't know why that would be the case. I don't know why. But he was just offended at me. And I think it was because there was another little girl in the class who liked me. And I think that that created some jealousy at the time. You know how kids can be. I was in the fifth grade. This little boy became a bully in my life. He was so much of a bully that he was looking for a reason to fight me. I didn't want to fight. I'm not a fighter. And so he was looking for a reason, though. To pick a fight with me and he found it so he thought one day he accused me of stealing his piece of gum now I didn't take his gum I wasn't chewing any gum I hadn't seen any gum but he accused me of taking his piece of gum and that's all he needed to come after me after school on that particular day it was in the winter time I remember because it was icy outside and cold We went outside after school, and a bunch of kids gathered around us because he was going to beat me up. Well, this bully came over to me, and he shoved me down, and I remember falling to the ground because it was slippery because there was ice on the ground, and I thought, oh no, I am going to get beat up here. I'm a lover, not a fighter, in the fifth grade, you know. (laughs) As I'm laying on the ground, knowing that I'm going to get beat up, all of a sudden, out of the group comes the biggest kid in school. And the biggest kid in school comes over to me, and he picks me up, and then he looks at this bully, and he says to him, If you're going to touch him, you've got to first go through me. And the kid, almost in tears, ran away. Because nobody would dare go up against the biggest kid in school. And that biggest kid became a great friend all throughout my elementary, junior high, and high school time. And I often think of that analogy because I think of God in the same way. For Satan to come after us, he first has to go through God. That does not mean that there won't be hard times and difficulties and challenges and trials and struggles. But God is there to protect me because my life is hidden in him. If I stood behind in the fifth grade, this tall kid who became a great friend, if I stood behind him, I would disappear because nobody could see me behind him because he was so big. It's kind of like if a big person here if Grant stood up here most of us would hide behind him and nobody would be seen because we we're hidden behind him. Well, in the same way God stands before us and our lives are hidden in him and he fights the battle for us. So how do I how do I find myself in in Christ? Well, the secret is this, I'm God's child. I'm redeemed. I'm saved, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted, I have been given his grace, I've been sealed with the Spirit. He adores and he protects his children. And that's how he, he, that's how our lives are hidden with him. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, 23 verse 37... Jesus has been telling a parable, or he's been telling, he's given a sermon to a bunch of Pharisees, a bunch of religious people, and he is just blasting them, one after the other, just constantly. And at the end of that uh, sermon that he gives, in verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and this is Jesus saying this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather you like a, a hen gathers chicks under their wings, but you were not willing. See, Jesus wants to hide you. He wants to protect you. He wants to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. I heard a, heard a story one time about a farmer who had a devastating fire on his farm. He lost all of his livestock. He lost his home, his barns. It just took everything from him. Horrible fire. And this farmer, in frustration, A day after the fire had gone out was walking through surveying and seeing what was left. Is there anything left that's salvageable? And as he's walking through the farmyard, he sees like a thing that he thinks is like a black log that is there in the farmyard that's burned to a crisp. In frustration, he goes over and he kicks this black charred thing that is there. And as he kicks it over... There are several chicks that scatter out from underneath it. And it was a hen who had taken all of the chicks under her wings and protected them to the point of death. Jesus is that for us. And when we come to the spiritual warfare concept, we have to first know that it's Jesus who fights the fight, He provides the power, He provides the strength. It's not that he's an add on or a tag along. He is it. And I find my life hidden in him. That's the first point. The first point of this is that the power comes from the Lord. He, again, he's the battery source to my life. And he becomes the power so that I can then live life. Spiritual warfare, by the way, it's not about the devil, it's not about Satan. It's about God who is victorious in the midst of it. And we're going to face it, but the one who's standing for us is bigger than the one who's coming against us. Second point is this. The devil has a plan, but God has given us the tools. I'm not not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're going to dig further into this. But here's what verse 11 says. He said, finally, he said, be strong in the Lord. So again, notice that phrase, in the Lord, in his mighty power. Now put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So God is going to fight the fight and he's going to give me the tools. The tools are called the armor of God. We are going to be talking more in depth about these over the five weeks. So I'm not going to talk about them now. But just notice this about the tools. Every tool that Paul is going to describe describes an area that Satan loves to target in your life. Whether it is your faith, whether it is your salvation, whatever it is, this area is the area that he loves to target. And so God says specifically, put on this armor so that you can face this. God's giving us the tools that are necessary. Why is he giving us the tools? Because there are schemes that the devil has. The word schemes is the Greek word "methodia," And it's where we get our word method. The schemes of the devil are his methods, his battle plans. Satan is not everywhere, despite what some people would have you believe. Satan is not behind every problem that you face. Sometimes, The reason that I'm going through problems is my own stupidity. That's it. It's no fault of Satan's. He's not doing it. I'm just cooperating with Satan because I am doing something stupid. There was a story. You would be too young. Most of you would be too young to remember this story. But it was a story uh, in the NFL. It was a couple of decades ago now. There was a wide receiver by the name of Plexico Burris. And Plaxico Burris was a great receiver for the New York Giants. However, he was—he did something very stupid. He went into a nightclub in, in New York City with a handgun that was loaded. Now, this is not about gun rights, anything like that. In New York, that was illegal. He went into a nightclub with a loaded gun, and as he is in the nightclub with a loaded gun... the gun goes off and he shoots himself in the leg so he now has prison time because he was doing something illegal and he has a bullet wound because he shot himself that's not satan's doing that's complete stupidity that's what that is we all do stupid things it's not always Satan who's behind everything. Sometimes it's just we're in a broken world. And in a broken world, things do happen. Diseases can happen. Catastrophes can happen. That's not what this is. The methodia, the method, the plan of Satan is a deliberate plan that he has to destroy people. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and they're in opposition. He is in opposition to everything God does. Think back to World War II the enemy of the world was Hitler. Hitler had a plan, he had a methodia, he had something he was trying to fulfill. Not everybody knew what the plan was. In fact, only a handful of trusted people in his life knew what the actual genocidal plan was. He had a plan. And he employed many to carry out the plan. The Allies had a plan to go against him. One of the first things they had to do was get a foothold on the beach in Europe, the beaches of Normandy. They had an operation, and the operation was called Operation Overlord. Not many people knew the plan. Everything was being arranged, but only a handful of trusted people knew the plan. Satan has a plan. His plan is to bring destruction. His plan is to harm you. He is trying to accomplish that plan, and we are going to expose what that plan is over the next five weeks as we look through the Bible and we look through this section. So, the devil has a plan, but God has given us the tools. The devil is not everywhere. He is not God. Only God is everywhere. Only God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Satan is not. He is a created being. Next week, we're going to look at where did Satan come from and why is he the way he is. And we'll look at that together. Just know know this. He has a plan, but God is in you and he's given you the tools to fight the fight that we need to fight. Okay, number three. The battle is spiritual in nature. Look at the final verse that we're going to look at today. Verse 12. So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Hide your life in His. Be strong in His mighty power, not your power, His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes, the plans, the methods of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What is he saying by this? He's saying there is an unseen battle that is going on that we don't know about. It's a battle that is going on on another plane. It's a battle against the worldly forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness. If you are paying any attention to the way our culture is going, you will notice that it is getting more and more wicked. It is getting further and further away from God and his truth. That should not surprise you. Because there is a battle that is going on behind closed doors. We don't see it all. Also, it's important as much as you see maybe politicians, or as much as you see cultural icons, or as much as you see laws that are made, you can't hate the person. Don't despise the person, even though you're tempted to. Understand that there's something going on behind the scenes. There is a greater power that is happening. Pray for them and pray against the powers that are going on behind the scenes. It is spiritual in nature. What I had said earlier was this. There are two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. God will always desire that which builds up. And Satan will always desire that which destroys God desires that which is right and pure and lovely. Satan desires that which is wrong and corrupt and perverse. In fact, regarding every aspect of God's nature, Satan proves to be the exact opposite. They will never be in agreement. Their wills, their desires, and their actions remain in a perpetual state of conflict the wills of god and satan are so diametrically opposed that warfare best describes the irreconcilable irre- differences that they have each one god and satan has followers and those followers reflect the natures of the ones whom they serve in our world where whenever the desires of god and the followers and his followers come in conflict with the desires of satan and his followers spiritual warfare occurs. So what is the key for all of this battle that we are going to face and we are going to be talking about? Well, the key is being found in Christ. And that's the step that each person needs to make sure that they have taken. How can I be found in Christ? Well, I need to receive him, accept him, ask him to come into my life. See, not everybody does that. Not everybody understands that. Not everybody wants to do that. But step number one for all of us is this. Jesus, I need you. I am sorry for what I have done. I am sorry for the mess I've made of my life. I am sorry for the sins that I have committed. Jesus, I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I need a new purpose in my life. When you make that decision, Now you are in Christ and now your life becomes hidden in Christ and you start learning more and more what this is going to mean. Less of me, more of him to the point of, I I want to be dead and him be alive only. It becomes, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want my life to be hidden in you and behind you. When you make that decision, your life is in Christ And you have the foundation now to be able to fight the fight that is coming before you. Some of you have a fight. It's in your home. Your marriage is at risk. You're fighting for your marriage. Your marriage is a mess. How do I fix my marriage? I want to be in Christ. And as I'm in Christ, my marriage can be worked upon. Your family is at risk. How do we fix our family? Family, we've got to be in Christ We've got to pray for each other. We've got to help each other. And our marriage can be fought for. When I am in Christ, I have the foundation to be able to follow him. I want to close with these words out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Paul writes this. He says, whatever things were gained to me, like the fame and the money and the power and the influence and the toys... I consider all of these a loss for the sake of Jesus. More than that, I consider all things to be loss in the value of just knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I consider them garbage in order that I might just gain Jesus and I might be found in him. Not righteousness of my own, but righteousness from him. May we be like Paul, who simply says this, I just want to be found in Jesus. Nothing else. That's what matters. As we go into this time of baptism, this is a perfect example of this. Baptism does not save a person. There is nothing magical and miraculous about this water. It is not some magical holy water that you get into and you come out of, poof, you're great. This is a symbol of what Jesus has already done in your heart. Because when you accept Him in your heart, He cleanses you and makes you brand new. When you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And baptism is the outward symbol, the confession before everybody of what Jesus has done in me. So as we go into baptisms, remember the key is being found in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we want to be in you. We can't fight the battle in this world, the battle in our society, the battle in our homes, the battle in this culture, the battle in this world. We can't fight it without you. We need to be in you, Jesus. As we are in you, you have the ability to set us free, to protect us and to help us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would watch over us. I pray for those in this room who've never accepted you and followed you and given their heart to you, that this would be the day where they say, yes, Jesus, I desperately need you. Lord, as we go into this time of baptism, make this a special moment, a holy moment, a God moment. Help us to cheer one another on and to celebrate this together. Lord, I I pray that you would be here now and help us in this time. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ if god is leading you to give to this ministry be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right hand corner your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week so thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of jesus christ all over the internet hey god bless you guys and thanks for listening to this message